You're listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kamajis, a licensed clinical social worker with a multi-state online therapy practice. I have a passion for empowering women and mom therapists to break free of the fear, overwhelm, and oppressive systems that hold them back from taking action and building the private practice of their dreams. My goal is for you to boldly believe in yourself as a clinician and business owner. If you're looking for a place to learn practice building strategy and skill while also claiming your own power as a woman and a therapist, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the show. Welcome to this week's episode of the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm really grateful to have my guest, Danielle Ellis, with me here today, as we're going to be talking about a topic that I think many of us, myself included, can very much relate to, being a therapist while also having family members who are neurodivergent. But first, let me introduce my guest. Danielle Ellis is an LMFT born and raised in Reno, Nevada, and has been with her husband since high school. She graduated from Capella University in 2019 and became fully licensed in November of 2022. And she is now in private practice, providing telehealth to clients in Nevada and Florida. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing her experience of the unique dynamics of living with two neurodivergent family members while also being a therapist. Danielle, I'm really excited for you to be here today. Thank you for being willing to chat with me. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm excited to uh, be on a podcast and really start to learn how all this works. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun experience. If you've never done it before, once you do it, if you like it, you're like, I want to do more. (laughs) Yeah. I have a feeling that's the way it's going to (laughs) go. Yeah. Yeah. So I always start off by asking guests, how did you get into the work you're in? How did you get into the field of therapy and whatever your focus is with the clients that you work with? Yeah. So, um, I've always kind of been the, I guess, from what the verbiage that people have used, um, I've always been like the stable friend. I've always mm. been the, the most stable person in the friend group and things like that. And starting dating my husband when I was 16 years old, really honed in on that, like I the stability of it. And so um, I just had questions all the time. Friends would always come to me, siblings, all of that, and ask advice. And so um, I then changed and I when I started college and I wanted to be a deputy district attorney um because I have a district attorney in the family um took one criminal justice class and went oh no 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 thanks (laughs) not for me um but I took a psychology class and I I didn't even really have to look in the textbook I everything just was making sense and so yeah that's when I switched uh majors and ever since then my all of my educational experience is in the field of psychology. So, And what is your focus? Like, do you have a focus in your practice of like types of clients that you work with or are you pretty open? So that was something that I had to learn coming into private practice, um, being in community mental health, working at yeah. agencies, you see whatever, basically whatever comes through the door. Yep. And so um, now in private practice, I've really started to learn that I really like working with clients who are experiencing grief, loss, um, burnout. Um, and of course, now I'm really starting to discover that um, neurodivergency is a very interesting topic. So yeah. I'm starting to hone in on that as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm finding that in my own work too, that it's something, especially I work primarily with women and it's something that a lot of women have had undiagnosed for her ever mm-hmm. <laughs> in many way, many cases. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm like trying to improve my knowledge and skill set around that too, because it's definitely becoming something that I think is more open in conversation and people yeah. are having more awareness around. I know we're going to be talking a little bit about your experience of having family members that are neurodivergent, as well as the role of wearing a therapist hat, being a therapist. You mentioned that your husband and you have been together since high school. Is the dynamic that exists now in your life where the therapist role and having a family member that is neurodivergent. Is that something that you guys had awareness of back in high school? Or is this something as you guys have grown together, continued your life together that you've had to learn to navigate in a different way? Um, Definitely the second one for sure. Um, You know, when you're 16, 17 years old, you have no idea um, what the inner workings of it. Of course, um, you know, the, the basics of it of like, oh, the kid, who's like doing laps around the couch and is can't sit still in class. Like they definitely have like ADHD or, or something along those lines. Um, but, uh, my husband doesn't present that way. And so it, and of course, when we were teenagers, social media was nowhere near what it is today. Um, yeah. So it was definitely a learning process. Um, it came about really after our son was, uh, started kindergarten and he was diagnosed with ADHD. And then my husband started to notice certain characteristics. And he was like, wait a second, that looks yeah. like something I would do. And now I'm doing it too. I'm like, wait, that, that looks a lot like ADHD. What am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. So it was something that he and you didn't really have awareness around till like your child was getting this diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. Were there things prior to real like recognizing this in your child were there things in your husband that you noticed or would find frustrating or like pose challenges with you guys that again like if we're not seeing it through this other lens we're like why can't you just be organized (laughs) or like why can't you just keep up with this stuff like how did you view a lot of that stuff before things started to click um so definitely the the organization and and the motivation. So when, um, before he, my husband was diagnosed and put on medication, um, he would have a lot of days of loan motivation, kind of a, a depressed state and would just kind of exist through the day. He was just surviving. Mm-hmm. And at first I was really trying to figure it out. I'm definitely was not pointing the finger or getting mad. Um, I was definitely like, okay, put my psychology brain to use. What is this? It has to be something. Um, And really just trying to figure out, you know, what is it and how can it help? And we really did not know until after our son was diagnosed. And then the pieces just fell together. It's interesting because as you describe like how he was presenting, in some ways it sounds like depression. Like it sounds like, again, like low motivation, low mood, 
not really able to, to focus even. Was it after your son's diagnosis that, oh, that started to make sense of what you were seeing? Or was it like with that psychology hat on that you're like, I, you know, I think this is depression, but it could be something else. Or was it hard for you to recognize that, oh, maybe this is some neurodivergency going on here? It was kind of a combination of a lot of that. It was definitely my psychology, the education of that, kind of like what is going on. Sure. Um, my brother also has ADHD, but his is more of the, I'm going to go all day, go as hard as I can, full sure. of energy, and then just all, on all the time. So noticing or not noticing, I guess, that my husband presented differently, but it was kind of, it was under the same umbrella. Um, so definitely after our son was diagnosed, um, that's when we started piecing things together and really starting to notice. And um, especially when the doctor was telling us uh, that the diagnosis is uh, generational. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird that it would, like my brother is ADHD, but it's kind of weird. Like it wouldn't necessarily yeah. jump like that. Um, and so then once we figured out that it was my husband and yeah. potentially me as well, it, that started to make more sense. It's interesting. I can very much relate to your experience. I have a kindergartner who was diagnosed within the last year with ADHD. My husband was diagnosed as a child with ADHD. And, you know, we we laugh sometimes because he, otherwise you're going to cry. But like mm-hmm. you, you laugh because I'm like, oh, my gosh, he is your twin. Like he is your twin. The stuff that he does, he is your twin. For me, knowing that my husband had had this diagnosis, that it definitely like created a little bit of a lens of like, okay, not that I'm like looking for it in my child, but it's something to be aware of. And from early on, from like, I mean, like six months on, I was like, if this child doesn't have ADHD, I will be shocked just by the way that like he could never just focus on one thing. He was just always on the move. And it's been interesting, again, seeing certain things in my child and then seeing it in my husband where it's like, oh yeah, no, this is exactly what is going on. I don't know for you, but it's been hard for me to sometimes have the bandwidth (laughs) coming out of therapy to have extra patience or have this like extra insight where husband's getting frustrated with child's behavior. And you're like, no, no, like this is something different going on here. What has that experience been like for you where you're like, I'm a therapist and yes, I see this stuff, but also I'm human and I'm a mom. And like, I don't want to have to be the one explaining or like teaching all of this stuff. Right. Yeah, definitely. Same as you. It's been frustrating at at moments just because, um, again, our, our son presents with different symptoms of ADHD, some similar to my husband, but also some different. So, um, my son gets, uh, he's easily angered. And Mm. so that, just trying to piece that together. And, you know, I always explain to uh, people who have like neurotypical children, it's like you tell them or you ask them, hey, can you please go brush your teeth? And maybe there's a little bit of kickback or whatever, but then they go and do it. And when you have a child with ADHD, 
it's going to be a battle. You have to ask yes. them and ask them and ask them and yes. remind them and kind of guide them to <laughs> sometimes the physically move them. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. And so that's, um, I think that's been very difficult um, because in it, it's a lot of therapists uh, that I've talked about this agree with me. It's like, you've got your therapist brain, but then you got mom brain and yeah. they're battling each other all the time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's such an accurate way to describe it. Where like my therapist brain is like, I'm trying to have compassion. I'm trying to have insight. I'm trying to have understanding. And my mom brain is like, would you just go brush your teeth? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like just, just do the thing, do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you navigate that yourself? Like, how do you find, I don't know if it's a balance in that brain. Like, how do you, I guess, care for yourself in that dynamic? Because I don't have the answer to that. I'm looking for <laughs> How do you care for yourself in that? So I really had to dig down deep inside and really um, look at everything. And, and that's one why one of the reasons I specialize in burnout is because um, I've experienced burnout a few times. And mm -hmm. so um, I was experiencing it again at the beginning of this year. And I just kind of realized like, you know, community mental health is just, it's not for me. Yeah. Um, I need something else. And so moving into private practice, I'm at home a lot more. I'm a lot more present. And I've noticed um, for some reason, I'm not exactly sure why, but for some reason with me being at home more, my husband and my son are a lot more stable and mm. I can be more present and I can um, be there to kind of facilitate and make sure that my son is taking his medication and he gets his medication every day. Um, and just honestly reminding myself that like, Hey, we're not dealing with neurotypical people. Yeah. They think differently. They operate differently. And yes, I'm human. Sometimes I still get frustrated and I'm like, I can't, um, yeah. this, this is crazy. This is frustrating. Um, yeah. but I, I do try as much as I can to remember that they're neurodivergent and they just think a lot differently. Yeah. Do you take like a time out for yourself or like, do you <laughs> give yourself permission to step away? If like, you're at those points of like, I just can't. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I, um, our son struggles a lot with screen time. And so we do have to balance that in, in the best way that we can. But also there are moments where I'm like, here, have your tablet, have your Nintendo switch, whatever. I need a break. Yeah. Um, we'll deal with the aftermath, you know, in the end. But, uh, um, you know, it's the people who are like, oh, I give my kid like an hour of screen time. And I'm like, awesome. I wish I could do that. But sure. it is a strong battle to get him yeah. to turn it off. And so sometimes I'm just like, you you're on your tablet, stay in the living room. I need to just like go take a shower and just sure. have a few minutes. And he's old enough now that he, if there's something happening, he does come and get me. Yeah. Um, but definitely stepping away and just giving yourself a break. Are there signs for, I guess, caregivers, like parents or even spouses, right? Because yeah. it can be frustrating dealing with a spouse who um, is neurodivergent sometimes too. 
are, are there things for listeners who may be in the same situation as, as you and I both are to be aware of, like, how do we know when we're getting close to that burnout or like, how do we know, like, what are signs to kind of look out for of like, okay, maybe we need to give the kid the iPad so we can go take that break. Yeah. Um, so definitely just checking in with yourself and, and saying, Hey, how, how am I doing? And I'm, am I getting easily frustrated? Um, for me, I know that I need a break when my brain switches from understanding and patient to now I'm getting frustrated. I might be Mm. raising my voice. Um, I'm like repeatedly asking like, go brush your teeth, go brush your teeth, go brush your teeth. Um, in those moments is when I know like, okay, I need to step away and take a second. Um, for me, the biggest help was really diving into the world of neurodivergency, whether that's reading a book or listening to a podcast or YouTube videos or Facebook pages, all the things, um, because knowledge is power and, when we understand our family members that are yeah. neurodivergent, I think it, it helps. Has your husband also dived into listening to those kinds of things or learning like some about himself, but also for your son? Is that something he does as well? Not really, but he will send me a bunch of uh, Facebook, what do you call them? Like shorts yeah. um, from I don't know his name. I cannot remember, but he's a blonde, blonde guy. And he does a lot of shorts about ADHD and the different symptoms that people don't necessarily recognize or um, attach to ADHD. So he'll send me a bunch of those videos. And, you know, sometimes I'll laugh and I'll be like, yeah, that's great. And other times I'm, as a therapist, I'm wondering, okay, but where, what, uh, what credentials does this guy have? Yeah. I, maybe he does. I don't know. Sure, sure. I don't know who he is. But for me, it's like that therapist brain is like, but are these actual legitimate symptoms of ADHD? Yeah. Um. Sometimes they are. And sometimes I'm like, ah, I don't know about yeah. that one. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> well, and I don't know if this is your experience, but for me, it can be frustrating sometimes where I'm not trying to be the expert. Like, I don't want to be the expert. I don't want to be the one with the knowledge Mm -hmm. or the experience or like know how to reach out and get this information. And I want my husband to understand himself a bit more and to understand our child a bit more, but also like I can read a book, I can listen to a podcast, but his attention span just does not allow for that. And it can be this, this frustration that I'm trying to like figure out, okay, how do, how do you, how do I support you in like educating yourself about your own diagnosis and your child's diagnosis, but also not have to be the educator. And I feel like in talking with other, other moms and other clinicians who like us, like we have that therapist hat, but we also have that mom hat that it can be a struggle sometimes. Cause it's like, again, I don't want to be the one responsible for like providing psychoeducation to my family member. I'm already doing that with clients. Right. Yeah. And for me, I, I, same thing. I, I really don't, I, I'm that type of person that I really don't like flaunt my education. I really yeah. don't speak about it. Um, most people don't know right away that I have a master's degree until 
you know, way into the conversation or after a few meetings or things like that. Um, because I would like to present myself as more of like a, a regular everyday type of person and that I can relate to other people. So for me, it's like if my husband feels that he can relate to these video shorts um, and things like that, and that's how he gets his understanding of sure. his symptoms, then that's fine. Um, because my husband is not um, what they used to call like book smart. He's more street smart. He completely built his off-road vehicle um, on his own, fabricated it and everything, welding, all the stuff. He's yeah. amazing at that stuff. But books are not his jam. And I'm yeah. the opposite. I don't want to be in the garage. I don't want all the noises. I don't want to be welding. I want to be inside reading a book. And so yeah. really just accepting that everybody learns in a different way. And if that's how he learns, then that's, that's how he learns. We've all been told we need to network in our private practice, but no one actually tells us how to do it or what to say. Enter Comprehensive Connecting, effective scripts that expand your networking community and actually fill your online practice. This free guide will give you effective scripts to connect with fellow clinicians, medical professionals, and community stakeholders to build strong networking relationships that will help fill your practice. In this guide, you will get tips and tricks for building relationships that will lead to referrals in your practice, real-life examples of messages used to connect with referral sources, and customizable plug-and-send scripts for your specific practice needs. So download your free scripts guide today by going to bit.ly forward slash comp connecting. Like for you educating yourself so that you, whether it's through the therapist lens, but even like through the mom lens where like I have a friend who has um, a child very similar to mine and, you know, I saw, uh, I can't remember what the Instagram account was, but just talking about the challenges of having a child with ADHD and a child not with ADHD and like the accommodations that you oftentimes have to make for yeah. the child with ADHD and the other child then seeing that and feeling like, why do I always have to give in? And so being able to just discuss amongst friends and colleagues like has been been helpful, but are there books and podcasts or social media accounts? Are there certain ones that you have found helpful, whether it is educating from the therapist standpoint or just educating as a mom and a, and a partner that you would recommend other people checking out? Yeah, definitely. So um, one of the websites that I found is understood.org and the title is what is ADHD? Um, and that gives an overview of the diagnosis and symptoms and things like that. Um, I don't personally know this website. It was just one that popped up and I was like, okay, yeah. that sounds great. That sure. seems legitimate. Um, and then also fire child, water child, um, mm. understanding the five types of ADHD. And I think that's just really helpful um, because it just gives a lot more knowledge and the more understanding that you have, the better, um, you know, if you're, if you're one of those that really likes those Facebook shorts, then I say, go for it, but definitely yeah. do other research first to just make sure that all that information that you're getting is legitimate and real. Um, because as I tell all my clients, 
anybody can make a Facebook video. So. Right, right. <laughs> Doing our due diligence to our, our background research, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we, we've learned that in grad school, but yeah, like who, who is actually running this account and putting this information together? Exactly. Yeah. And just, you know, it, if you're able to have other children of your own or, you know, nieces or nephews or cousins or friends with kids, whatever, um, just kind of taking a second and and really looking at if you suspect your child to have ADHD or for sure diagnose ADHD or things like that, just noticing how they operate in Mm. their group with other, with peers, with friends, with family members, Um, because you really start to notice a difference. Um, If I ask my niece to do something um, she usually will do it. Maybe she'll give a little bit of kickback, but then usually she'll go to it where my son, I have to remind and remind and remind, yeah. um, if he's off of his medication. And, and that was another big thing too, is a lot of people, um, are not sure on the medication piece of yeah. it. And, you know, it, you have to do your research. You have to go about your avenues, whether you believe in holistic medication, naturopathic medication, or you believe in pharmaceutical medication, talk to your professionals that you're involved with, um, teachers, uh, therapists, doctors, pediatricians, all the things, and just make the most informed decision. For us, we kicked around the idea of pharmaceutical medication for a very long time and really did a lot of research, tried other things first. And for our son, nothing worked um, besides his pharmaceutical medication. So that's what we had to go with. Yeah. And have you noticed it makes like a really big difference for him? Yeah. So, uh, he's now been on medication for coming up on three years and we've had to move the dosage around a little bit. Um, there are some downfalls. His appetite is really suppressed. Um, but he was never really a good eater anyways. Um, yeah. But yes, the the behavior is definitely a lot better, um, a lot more controlled. Um, of course, being a therapist, I have all of these children's books on emotions and things sure. like that. Yep. But when he's not on his medication, you are not getting to him with those right. books. It's not right. a high enough intensity. Right. And so right. having to um, really work on that and and know when to get him and when to kind of work through other things. Um, we also have him in karate and swim. And then my parents have an acre of land. And so they have dirt bikes and quads and things. Yeah. That, um, because that was recommended to us as well as just with an ADHD kid, keep them busy. Yeah. That's my son. And he has some sensory stuff too. So like anything that is like, like he's upstairs right now and I can hear him like pounding, like he's jumping (laughs) off of things, but like anything that's like heavy on his body, like you would think it would be the opposite. Cause my other son who, as far as we know at this point is not presenting with anything that appears to be ADHD, but like he is, it's my son with ADHD who is more like calm and ready to settle down after he's done some of that heavy work, right? The other one's like, let's keep going and I'm getting more intense, but yeah, like finding what, what works. And I think, you know, one of the things I see, and I have felt this myself too, is like, 
we have this education and we're like, I should be able to help my child or I should be able to help my partner or help my niece or whoever it is in my family that may be struggling with emotional regulation or like navigating systems or whatever it may be. And we beat ourselves up when we're like, we I've quote unquote failed, or I'm not doing this the right way. But I think your description is so accurate of like, we have the therapist part of ourselves and then we have the mom or the, the spouse part or the partner part of us. And that by bringing in help, whatever that may look like, whether that is an IEP medication, a therapist, uh, ABA support, whatever, whatever the individual needs. It's not, you haven't helped your child. This is helping your child, but also helping you. I know for us getting my son in therapy has been really helpful so far. It's, I wish it was a miracle and that like, we weren't still dealing with as much as we are, but Mm -hmm. being able to have somebody else give him the language that I've been trying to, (laughs) um, you know, then makes it easier that I'm like, Oh, like I can remind you of what Miss Joanne taught you. And yeah, you're more engaged to do it. And then it's not feeling like it's all on me. Right. Yeah. And and that's, that was very difficult for me to process because at the very beginning of this, um, in preschool, he didn't show signs. We didn't see anything. We didn't notice anything. The teachers didn't say anything. So we had no idea. And then he gets to kindergarten and it's this whirlwind. I remember getting that very first phone call and they're like, he is throwing chairs across the classroom. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, we need to get down here. Now we need to talk about this. And I was just dumbfounded because I'm like, none none of this happened before kindergarten. So what is going on? And so for for me, it was very difficult to accept that I cannot fix it all. And I cannot help him in every single way that I want to. And, um, you know, that now I'm at this level where, yes, I'm a therapist, but I can't therapy my my own child and so I have to bring in another therapist um mental health therapist occupational therapist yeah he's on an IEP all the things and so yes I I understand that frustration for sure that you know we go through um of like but I can't help and it's like well you know just remember therapists meet therapists doctors need doctors attorneys need attorneys all of the things you know and so at the end of the day just really reminding myself you are human yes you're an educated human but you're still a human and you know it's our children share our dna and so they're going to have similar very similar qualities and characteristics to us and so but our clients don't our clients don't share our dna they're separate So yeah, yeah. They they connect in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like going into private practice has allowed you like versus being in community mental health? Like do you think that that has helped you feel a bit more balanced in that like I work but I also have um a child with ADHD or another family member with ADHD? Do you think that having private practice as your work has helped create a little bit more of that space for yourself or balance for yourself versus being employed by somebody else? Yeah, most definitely. Because 
when I was in community mental health, working at the agency, I would get a phone call from the school. And um, the office I was at is about a 30, 45 minute drive from the house. And so they would call and they'd say, hey, he's throwing chairs across the classroom. Mm. You need to get down here. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Well, I'll be there in like 30, 35 minutes. And they're like, but we need somebody now. And so we did get very lucky. He's at a very amazing uh, public school that um, is very helpful. Um, And they they were able to corral him and calm him down and and all the things. But um, being in private practice, um, our house is 30 seconds down the road from school. Yeah. And yeah. so it's been amazing. It's been extremely life-changing. I can be at home. I can take him to karate. I can, we, you know, we can take yeah. him to swim. I can participate in all the things, all the field trips. If his school yeah. needs me, they can call me and I'm 30 seconds down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's created a lot more. It sounds like it's just created a lot more balance for you with your work life and your family life. Yeah, definitely. You know, at the agency, I was working all day, Monday through Friday, um, and not a lot of time for other things, which, you know, that's that's a very complex um, aspect of it in itself. I definitely, I'm not knocking community mental health at all. I'm not knocking agency work. But for me, living with two people who are neurodivergent and having a child who is on an IEP and requires um, therapy and all these extracurricular activities and extra support. um, It just was not working being at the agency all day, every day. And so I needed to switch to private practice so that I could um, have more time, be more available for, for my son that just has, quite a few extra needs from your, I guess, neurotypical child. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, I don't know if you have found, but like we just started kindergarten this year and the difference of just what is needed between like daycare versus Mm -hmm. like elementary school, it just like explodes somehow. There always is something else going on. And then when you add in, like you said, in our house, there's sports activities, there's therapy appointments, we also have severe food allergies. So there's food allergy appointments. There's all of this extra stuff. And so, yeah, like it's just having to figure out how can you, how do you find a balance that works for you and your family and private practice just gives you that flexibility to move stuff around if you need to. And also the autonomy to be like, I'm not seeing 30 clients a week. I'm Uh going to see the amount that I mentally, physically, and emotionally can handle. And this is what I have to do for my family. Yeah, definitely. And and that was a hard decision too. Um, my son also has severe food allergies um, and now my husband as well. And so, Interesting. Um, yeah. And so I definitely, I think that plays a role in all of this as well. Um, because a couple of years ago, he was given a Snickers um, by accident and he has a uh, life-threatening allergy to peanuts. Yeah. Um, it's immediate anaphylactic shock and EpiPen and rush yeah. to the hospital. So getting that phone call, of course, I was at the agency. I was at work. Yeah. And thankfully, um, my husband is a school bus driver. And so he was home for his midday break. He was 30 seconds away from the school. Yeah. So he races down there. He facilitates all that. And I had to 
you know, abruptly <laughs> leaves the agency. And I was like, I'm out. I'm yeah. going to the hospital. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's not that the next time that an allergic reaction happens, that it's not going to be any less scary because it always sure. is. But I know that I have the flexibility to call my clients and say, hey, I've had a family emergency. Let's yeah. reschedule. I'm willing to see you because I do telehealth at home. So I'm willing to see you um, late in the evening or early morning yeah. on a weekend or whatever works. Sure, um, sure. Where at community mental health, I don't own the agency. I don't own the office. Yeah. I can't just see my clients whenever, wherever. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, it gives you much more of that flexibility for sure. Yeah. I've really appreciated getting to talk with you today because I feel I'm like, oh my goodness. Yes. I, I, I feel seen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I feel seen. Yes. Is there anything that you would leave listeners with if they are finding themselves that they have family members who are neurodivergent, they're in the therapy sphere and just struggling with that balance, whether it is time, whether it is bandwidth, whether it is patience, um, anything to offer listeners to just kind of help with that idea of self-care, but also as you were talking about preventing that burnout. Yeah. Um, so what I talk about often is that society is a neurotypical kind of setup. And so when you are neurodivergent, and you're living in a society that is painted to be neurotypical, those two just do not connect into a, you know, perfect puzzle pieces connecting together. They clash really hard. And so, um, and the other part of it too, ADHD looks different in every person. And so there's a lot of variations. And, and that's what I was talking about with those Facebook short videos is yeah. that, um, everybody's symptoms are different. You know, my brother with ADHD is super high energy where my husband with ADHD fluctuates and he's hyper-focusing, but then he goes into like a depressive state, if you will. So taking the time to try and do as much research as you can without driving yourself crazy doing it. Um, and really just getting as much of an understanding as you can And if you need those resources, if you need to reach out for therapy um, or any other things, podcasts, YouTube videos, all the things, reach out and and really look into it because sometimes having that knowledge is calming. Yeah. And it's reassuring and it's like validating too, where you're like, oh, okay. Yes. Yes. This is the thing. I'm not (laughs) alone. Yes. 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 (laughs) Danielle, if listeners wanted to connect with you or to reach out to you, where would be the best place for them to find you? Um, so my website is dlslmft.com. And I, if you type in Danielle Ellis, Reno, Nevada, um, it will come up with all of my profiles. I'm on Psychology Today and Alma and LinkedIn and um, also Facebook, Instagram, and threads now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm like, I, I'm trying to keep up with all of these, but yes, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, so, uh, and I'm very responsive to emails, phone calls, all of the things. So 
And we'll have your website and your social media stuff linked in the show notes for today. Danielle, thank you so much for being here today. I really have appreciated your time and just getting to, to chat with you about this experience. Yeah, thank you so much. And I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be a part of a podcast and really get to know how this all works. <laughs> yes, yes, my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. Check the show notes for all links and resources mentioned in the show. If you found today's episode helpful or inspiring, be sure to share it with your therapist friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave your five-star rating and review. It truly means so much to me and will help us get our message of empowerment out to other women and mom clinicians. And I'd love to connect with you in our Facebook community. So check out the show notes for the link or head to bit.ly forward slash raise to empower to join us. I'll see you back here next week.